Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week with Senior Pastor Chris Monahan. For more resources, go to www.igateway.org. Hope. Hope happens here. Let's say that together. Hope happens here. How many know we're in a society right now that needs some hope? (laughs) How many know you are a hope dealer? We have to be hope dealers. We have to step out in this time and realize the power of hope. If we don't have hope, my friend, the one who has the most hope has the most influence. If you have hope, you will influence if you have your hope stolen. And the Bible says to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I love what hope is defined as the joyful, confident expectation of good. I'm confident and I'm joyful that something good is coming my way. Now, the Bible also says we're going to be patient in those times of affliction. But we're going to expect, we're going to be faithful in prayer. And we have to maintain our hope, especially in this season. How many are grateful for this season where we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ to to planet Earth. Isn't it awesome? Now, one of the privileges I have as a pastor is to be able to get into the words and the languages and study, uh, to nerd out on different things. And so today, we're going to talk a lot about the virgin birth. We're going to talk about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And I believe your eyes are going to be open this morning. Like, Look, get your pew belt on right now because it's going to be a wild ride and I I don't want you to be shaking all over. It's going to be good. Isaiah 7, 14 is a prophecy that is so powerful and so eye-opening that was written 2,700 years ago. I don't want to just read the prophecy, but can I this morning take you back into the story of when it was originally spoken? Can I do that for you this morning? Because oftentimes we read things And we don't go back into the context. And it's great to see the fulfillment of it, but it's sometimes fun just to see when this was spoken. And so I want to talk today about Ahaz, a king, who was a king over uh, the kingdom of Judah. And I'm going to bypass my notes a little bit today, if that's all right. But I got the microphone, so it is all right. So... But I want to talk about Ahaz, and this is a story about a man who had, had a father and a grandfather that were powerful kings, but he was not a very good king. How many know what it's like to be under poor leadership in your nation? I didn't see every hand go up. I'm just... <laughs> it's a difficult season. And what happens is, is our, many of our political leaders are out eating grass in the field like Nebuchadnezzar right? They've lost their minds. And no, this is this time when this prophecy was spoken to this leader named King Ahaz. How many know God speaks prophetically in dark times? Because we're the hope dealers. We're the people that when we see the prophetic words of God, we latch onto them. We have hope. Why? Because we believe the prophecies and the promises made to us. King Ahaz, it talks about him in Isaiah 7, 1. 
It says, in the days of Ahaz, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against us. And if you look at, there's a, a, a picture or a map I have here of Judah and Israel, just to help you out. Actually, I only do this because my wife loves maps, and every time she's like, oh, I love when you put a map up. That's the, that's the reason I do it. It's not inspired. I just want my wife to love me. Okay. But here's Judah. And this is in the nation of this whole place today will be called Israel, except for the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, but we're not going there today. Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. The king we're talking about today, whose name is Ahaz, everybody say Ahaz, and the prophet Isaiah were in this kingdom called the kingdom of Jerusalem, uh, the kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem was there, the temple was there, but just like the United States was divided in two. Does anybody remember when that happened? I didn't think so. Okay. It was called the Civil War. There was a divide between the north and the south, and that's what happened in the nation of Israel. They were divided into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Well, at this point, Israel and a number, two other countries came and started to attack Judah. They started to attack King Ahaz, and this is the story that the background of what we're going to talk about today. So there was a very difficult circumstance. It was bad. He just got through an attack and then suddenly discovers that not only is they, are they going to attack again, but they just connected with the most powerful nation in the world to help join them to defeat Judah. How many know it's a bad day? There are no hopeless circumstances, only hopeless people. You can trust an unknown future to a known God. When he, and imagine having the prophet Isaiah next to you, prophesying over you. If you've never read the book of Isaiah, okay, Isaiah is like the dude that gets it all right. The book of Isaiah is 66 chapters, and it's like a micro Bible. It is so inspired, so profound, the deeper you go into it, the more you say, wow. It's 39, first 39 chapters are like judgment, 39 chapters of judgment, which represent like the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then boom, you get to chapter 40, and it's like you're reading the New Testament. You get to chapter 66, it talks about heaven and the earth descending, becoming a throne. It's beautiful. So the book of Isaiah is one of the most powerful books of the Old Testament. I don't know, I'm just on the book of Isaiah right now. But the, the king that Isaiah was talking to, this man was, I'm going to read this. Ahaz was the king who persisted in his wickedness, even in the face of all trials to which he was subjected and would not repent. How many know that sounds like our current administration, right? Subject to the worst times in American history, and here we are. He's unwilling to repent. It goes on to say, worse than this, he threatened Israel's religion to its very foundation in order to destroy the hope of regeneration. So if you study King Ahaz, he was an abortionist. He was killing children. He was desecrating the temple. He would be going to foreign nations and bringing things that should never be into the temple. He was bringing them into the temple. Like this was a bad dude. He... he and Isaiah was prophesying to him. And the story, where we get Isaiah 7, 14, 
that a virgin shall conceive and give birth. That's under this guy's administration. Come on, isn't that strange? It feels like kind of relevant for today, doesn't it? God's still speaking. I believe he's turned up the volume some. And I believe it's time that we embrace these prophetic words and grab hope in this time. Amen? If he can do it in the times of Ahaz, he can do it in the times of this crazy administration that we're in, this crazy place. So King Ahaz and Judah were under siege, and they heard that their enemies had just joined forces. First, Isaiah 7-2. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, which is actually Israel, and the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook. So this was a time where there's a lot of fear, and we are the hope dealers of this season. There are people now that are very afraid, very scared, very fearful. And so what we have to do is we have to stir hope up inside of us. Just like Ahaz was being told and prophesied to, we need to get the word. How many know we can get the words of Isaiah again and put them into our heart like they should have been put into the heart of King Ahaz? And this was 2,700 years ago that Isaiah spoke this to this ungodly king. You guys with me this morning? We're, we're going to Isaiah 7, 14. We're on verse 3, just so you know. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz and your son, Shear Yeshuv. That's his name in Hebrew. And so God tells Isaiah, Go and meet the king. And the king's at this pool hanging out, drinking his iced tea in the Lazy River. I don't know what he was doing. But he's told to bring his son, Sha'ir Yeshuv, Jashab, or whatever you want to say. There's no J in the Hebrew. But I want to tell you, it's interesting because when God tells you to bring somebody, sometimes their name has something meaningful is the reason why God said, bring this son and not that son. So he brings his son, and Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name Isaiah, Isaiah means. And he brings Shear Jashub as a prophetic message to Ahab, declaring that a remnant shall return. Now, I want to define what does a remnant mean? This is what remnant means. It means that it comes from the verb sha'ar, which means to remain, be a remnant, to be a small but perpetually surviving portion of a much larger original mass that was eliminated. Doesn't that feel like the church right now? Come on, I want to say that again. It feels like the church. I think I was just talking to one of the pastors on our staff. I was like, it feels like that we've been dwindling down over the years. Not just not to our church in general, but just the church in general. Because of all the divisive issues. But there's a remnant that's left. Amen? And I'm part of that remnant. How about you? I believe that we're in the season where the remnant will return. We're going to be the ones who return. We're not wondering, oh, like, what happened? Where did all the numbers go? It's a small but perpetually surviving portion of a much larger original mass that was eliminated. What the church has been through with the, with the controversial issues, the political issues, the gay issues, the, the queer issues, the transgender issues, the Israel issue. It's like more and more people I'm watching just fall off, not getting it, and just falling away. But we're the remnant. And we are 
the ones that will bring forth the change. How many know this is the season of the local church? You and I are the remnant. And this isn't to say we're special or we're called out or to be prideful or judgmental of other people. But don't be surprised if the only thing that's left is a remnant. Don't be surprised. So what does Isaiah tell King Ahaz? Because what is he hearing? He's hearing in Isaiah 7, 6, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up a new king in the midst of it. So this is what King Ahaz's enemies are saying. We're going to take your land. We're going we're to throw you out as king, and we're going to take it back from it. This is what he is hearing. And remember, this is from the most powerful nation in the world in existence at that time. And what does Isaiah says? He says to him, thus says the Lord your God, Isaiah 7, 7, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. You know, oftentimes we hear what the enemy is saying. We get troubled because we think, oh, we're going to lose it all. <laughs> we're going to, oh, this relationship's going to crash. The, the world I'm in is, is going, to, we're going to lose everything. We're going to die. We're going to, all these things. But when the enemy talks and the enemy says things, we should have a, our first response should be laughter. We should laugh. We should laugh at the plans of the enemy. If he says he's going to kill you, you go. <laughs> if he says, oh, that doctor's report you got, you're going to die from that. You go. <laughs> right. Or if they say you, you hear you're going to lose your job, you go. <laughs> we laugh. Why do we laugh? Because it's the biblical thing to do. Your response is laughter. People will think you're crazy, but it's actually a biblical response. Psalm chapter 2, and this is a story about Yahweh and his anointed one, Yahweh and his son Jesus sitting together on the throne. Psalm 2 says, The kings of the earth shall rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse 4, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. What do we do with false accusations? <laughs> we laugh. It's a biblical process. We have to remember that it's oftentimes not the problem that becomes the problem. It's our re reaction to the problem that then becomes the problem. But in King Ahaz's times, his enemies were seeking his downfall. And he was told to stand firm and to ask for a sign. And we'll talk a little bit about this uh, about what it means to ask for a sign because there's, there's two different, you know, agreements on what should happen here. But Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You must stand firm in your faith. And can I pastor you this morning? Friends, stay firm in your faith. Stay firm. Be like a dog who's got a bone and he ain't letting it go. We are standing firm in faith right now. People will fall away. Things we were hoping for may not come to pass. What we were putting our trust in may fall, but we put our trust in the Lord. And my faith will be firm, even if it doesn't work out the way I think it should work out. We have to be firm in that. But Isaiah says to King Ahaz, he says, King Ahaz, ask for a sign. And it says this, in verse 12, it says, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. 
How many know that sounds biblical right there? It actually is biblical. If you look, Jesus says these words, Matthew 4, 7. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we think, okay, Ahaz is making a good decision here, right? Don't ask for a sign. But then the Lord rebukes him. He says, you do what I tell you to do. You know, sometimes the Bible will mess you up, just so you know. It's not as clear and cut and dry as you think it is. You know, it, the Bible says in Proverbs to answer a fool. And then the next proverb, it says, don't answer a fool. Well, what do you do? Do I answer the fool or don't I answer the fool? You got to walk with Jesus and let him tell you what to do in that situation. The Bible is not taken away. Your, your Bible and your relationship with Jesus go hand in hand. There's a lot of people that have a relationship with the Bible. They know the Bible, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. We've got to have both. So, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And how many know your church and your pastor, we go after signs and encounters with God? Uh, you guys got a little excited here in this Methodist church here. That your church goes after signs and wonders and encounters with God. That's your church, right? That's what we go after. There's a reason we do that. There's other churches in town, and, and they're going after. We need to encourage one another. Go after. But then you begin to look at the life of Jesus, and how many know that we have dreams and encounters during difficult times? So in these difficult times, we should be expecting dreams. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verse 3, it says that dream comes when there's many cares. And when there's trouble and trials and things going on around us, we need to say, wait, I need to, I need to study what this dream means. I need to seek out the prophetic because now, like never before, is the time to get your, the prophet's voices in your ears. What are the prophetic people saying? And weigh those things and, and begin to dwell on them and, and meditate on those things. But it's interesting because in Matthew, when we talk about a sign, because Ahaz is asked, ask the Lord for a sign. He refuses, and then the, the Lord basically rebukes him, and he says, is it too little for you to weary men, and now you weary God also? He's like, you, I told you to ask for a sign. Boy, you asked for one, <laughs> right? And he didn't. But we look into the stories of Jesus. It's interesting because when, they, when Jesus talks about signs, Matthew 12, 39, and again, we see that we're going to see this, this inconsistency, apparently. But he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Okay. Well, wait a second. Should, should we not pursue signs and wonders? But then we go ahead and we see in John 4, 8, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Well, which is it? I believe that we need to pursue signs and wonders. I believe there are people that will not believe unless they see something miraculous happen and we owe the world an encounter with God. You are the one. You are the one that can bring that person into that place to have an encounter. And I know I had an encounter with God and that was very convincing. And we need to be those who bring people into that encounter. But... In the book of Isaiah, King Ahaz says, I'm not asking for a sign. He gets rebuked by Isaiah. You guys follow me so far? 
And he goes, well, since you're not asking one, I'm going to give you one. Context. This is the context of one of the most powerful prophecies in the entire Bible. Hear me. I just gave you the context. Most of us, like me, I've never discovered the context. Here's the context. You're not asking for a sign. Okay, I'll give you one. And here it is. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive. What does that mean? Now, we're going to talk about this person called the virgin who is going to conceive. Can we do that this morning and break this verse down a little bit for you? It's powerful. We're going to talk about the virgin today. Everybody say virgin. Now, this word, Hebrew word for virgin has been a battleground over scholars. What does it mean? Does it really mean, uh, does it just mean young woman or does it mean a woman who's never been with a man? And we're going to talk about that today. But number one is that this was said to be a sign. Now, how many know that when God wants to give a sign, it's got to be something out of the ordinary? Can I, I, I did a lot of study on this word. It's called, it's, it's the word is actually in Hebrew called oat. And it means sign in Hebrew. And the word oat, it's a sign, a mark, a symbol, a signal or event that communicates a supernatural event or miracle as a sign from God. It signifies an unusual event. So when we look at this word Alma, which is the Hebrew word for virgin or young woman, we got to remember that this has to be something supernatural or out of the ordinary. Now, a young woman being pregnant is not out of the ordinary. That's normal life. That's how we all got here. I was a man trapped in a woman's body for nine months. I will confess it right now, okay, before the whole congregation, all right? But I'm here now, and I'm a man. That's my DNA. That's what I am. That will never change. I was given, you know, to get XX chromosome, XY chromosome. I think I'm XX, right? That's the men. XY. I'm XY. Whoo! Okay. I'm going to stay off my scientific lesson. We're going to stick to this. Amen. Holy smoke. Man. So a sign in the Old Testament was a prophecy of something that would happen in the future. It's got to be significant. It's got to be supernatural. It can't just be something you see every day. Otherwise, it's not a sign. It's like you want to see something crazy? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. That's not supernatural. That's not anything out of the ordinary. That's just Chris raising his thumb. I mean, that's not supernatural. Anyway, you see that every day. So the sign, and the word in the Hebrew, the first time this word oat or sign, it describes the luminaries in the skies. How many know God can use the stars in the sky to show himself who he is? You know, now people are going after the zodiac and seeking stars and seeking guidance. That's wrong. We don't seek guidance from the stars. But it never says we can't look at them and see God working behind even the stars in the universe. I want to show you that this morning as well. So it's a sign. It's something supernatural. Oftentimes when a covenant would be established, they would, there would be a sign that went along with the covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. There was an oat or a sign that he put on that covenant. Does anybody know what that was? The rainbow. 
It was a sign to be seen for generations to come that we would know that God will never flood the earth again. Every time I preached when rainbows come up, because I say, everyone, look, that's a promise from our God that he'll never flood the earth again. It's a sign attached to the covenant of Noah. Awesome. It's a sign. It's supernatural. It's, it's, it makes you wonder. It makes you go, wow. So I'm trying to tell you that God is going to give Ahaz a sign. It can't be just a woman being pregnant. It has to be something very distinct. Now, the same word for virgin was translated 300 years prior to Jesus coming to the planet in this book called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Hebrew, I don't want to get too deep, but it's the Hebrew Bible translated into another language, into the Greek language. It was done prior to Christ's coming by the Jewish people. How did they translate Isaiah 7:14? They translated it as a virgin. So 300 years prior to Jesus coming, the Jews of that day even translated that word that a virgin will give birth. Are you guys following me? Okay. I know that was a little technical, but we got a, we got a smart group here today. Look at your neighbor and say, we got a smart group here today. I can feel it. I can feel it in the room. So the Hebrew word Alma means young woman, but 3rd century B.C., Jewish translators used the word Parthenos, which means virgin in Greek in this verse. But let's remember the idea of a sign of a child being born to a young woman would not be a sign. Agree? It would not be a sign unless it was something super. Unless it was a virgin, it would not be a sign. No child is ever mentioned being born by the name Emmanuel. Because we'll finish this verse now. Isaiah 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, an oat, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. There's never a child named Emmanuel in the Old Testament. That means it was fulfilled when Jesus himself was born to planet Earth. God with us. This son, this, this seed of, of David would come and he would be everything that his father was. And you know, the very idea that a virgin would give birth to a conqueror who would crush the devil's head was spoken in the Bible within the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. That's why the Bible is so amazing when you begin to study it. Let's look at Genesis 3.15. I'm going to show you the virgin birth in Genesis 3.15. Can I do that this morning? Within three chapters, we've already got the entire gospel message of how it's going to be laid out. Don't you like it when the milk's in the front of the grocery store? You don't have to go all the way to the back. It's right there. Thank you, God, you know? You don't have to search for it. Boom, it's there. Let me blow your mind today. Genesis 3.15, it says... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is where after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God is talking, he's prophesying to the serpent of his downfall. He's talking about how your head is going to be crushed. That's a good day. I'm an assistant head crusher, by the way. Jesus is the official head crusher. I'm his assistant. Did you ever hear that song, Crusher of Evil? 
soon to be released, by the way. We're in the studio. We're getting it out there. You guys are going to love that song when it comes out. We're working with uh, somebody out of Maryland. It's going to be great. Emmanuel, God is with us. God says, Yahweh says to the serpent, I will put enmity. Number one, so it talks about there will be an earthly conflict that now will follow. There's an earthly conflict that will follow. He goes on to say, come on, this is good. And the woman between your offspring and her offspring, the actual Hebrew word is Zerah, which means seed. Between your seed and her seed. Now, I'm falling back in the biology again in science, but how many know women don't have seeds? Women have eggs. I got that one right. The virgin birth is the seed of woman. The seed of woman. He says, I'm going to put enmity, conflict, between your seed and her seed. The virgin birth goes on to say that you will strike his heel, which talks about the crucifixion. Jesus will be struck. His heel will be struck. He will be wounded by the one who brought the sin to this planet and brought the human race into this situation. But then it declares the obliteration of the serpent by her offspring which is the virgin birth, which is Jesus being born to this planet through Mary, through the seed of David. She is carrying the Messiah to this planet to conquer death, hell, and the grave and to crush the serpent's head and to obliterate him through the virgin birth. You know, when we sing, you know, Satan, we're going to tear your kingdom down. Come on, you don't understand why we say that. We're prophesying. We're, we're coming into alignment which already has been prophesied that Satan's head is going to be crushed. Come on, you hear the bones crushing on that. I mean, his head will be crushed. All right. Let's talk about the virgin birth as we look up into the heavens. And I'm going to land this plane real soon. Don't worry. But the idea of a virgin giving birth, this, the idea of a, of, a, of a savior coming and rescuing the planet through a virgin birth, it's, it's found in, in a number of different cultures. It's not the only time that we, it's not the, the, the story we find in the Bible. You know, and the enemy will not, will oftentimes copy what God's gonna do. It's normal. Like, like you don't have to worry about a $3 bill never being you know, a, you know, a phony $3 bill because there's no real $3 bills. The enemy only copies what is real. So if you see, oh, well, the virgin birth, you know, scholars, you know, well, the virgin birth is in many different cultures. It's not just, you know, only in Christianity. No, it's, that to me is confirmation because the devil will counterfeit what's real. So we see this, but when we look into ancient literature, I began to wonder, what did the Magi, remember it talks about these this group of magicians or, or astrologers or these, I, I think it was like the hippie movement of that day, you know, that they were coming to Jerusalem and they caused this huge stir because they saw something in the stars that caused them to say, we need to go to Jerusalem 
to find the new king. What did they see in the sky that caused them? What were their calculations that they saw that said, a king is born? A new king is born. So when I, I want to talk to mention today about constellations. Now, constellations are groups of stars that basically civilizations have looked up into the skies and determined this is a bear, this is a lion, this is a man, this is a woman with scales. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look up there and I'm like, what? Like, what were you smoking or what were you, what were you, you know, what were you on when you saw that? Because I don't see that. Come on, is everybody like that? I don't see what you're talking about. Now, before you get scared and worried about where I'm going, the Bible itself three times mentions constellations, groupings of stars. I'm going to say that again. The Bible itself mentions grouping of stars. So to see groups of stars and say, well, that picture is this and that picture is this, it's, it's actually biblical. You can look into Job chapter 9. It says, it talks about God who made the bear and the Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. Like he's saying, like, God, you made all these groupings of stars so that we could understand who you are. You with me this morning? So we're looking at a group of stars and saying this is a picture of this is not the zodiac. This is what ancient civilizations have all agree with. This grouping of stars is this. This grouping of stars. It's actually, I believe, after the Tower of Babylon, when all the nations scattered, they all had the same idea of what were the pictures in the, in the sky. And you'll see that in culture to culture. It's the same in every culture. How did that happen? After the scattering at the Tower of Babel, everyone agreed with the same thing. You following? It's pretty cool, isn't it? So when we look at the constellations, interesting. I want to show you a picture of the, let's put up this, I think you call it the star clock. Um, and it, it's interesting. This is how most civilizations have mapped out the pictures of the stars, the grouping of the stars that equal constellations. Now, again, you'll have like the zodiac and the thing where people are seeking their future from the stars. Well, I'm a cancer. I was, you know, that's garbage. Okay? Don't do that. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Are you with me? So we look at the Virgo is a picture. It's actually a word in almost every culture, which means the virgin. So if we start here at the constellation of the Virgo or the virgin, it, it says this, that the constellation Virgo means virgin and is referred to as Bethula in Hebrew, Parthenos in Greek, Kanya in, he, in Hindi, all of which mean virgin. The star and constellation names have been handed down from antiquity. So when we look at this and we read the story, now I'm going to take you into Matthew 2, and it says that now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star... When it rose, and we have come to worship him. So here's some hippie group of, you know, crazy folks. 
big crowd of people with, you know, they got gold, they got myrrh, they got, they're coming because they're like, we saw something in the, we saw his star. And we're here. Now imagine Herod's like, what? What? You saw what? Like, yeah, we saw it. And so he confirms, yeah, the, the Messiah, according to our words here, and it's, it's going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. And, and they go and, and, they, and they go out to find based on the star that they saw in the sky. And Herod's like, keep up with me. Let me know what happens. We know how the story ends up. But let's pull back up the star clock here. And uh, it starts, now notice, what if the entire gospel message is in the stars? It starts, the life of the Messiah starts with the virgin, but we know as we go around, I think I have another slide here, it ends with the lion. Begins with the virgin, ends with the lion. I'll have all this figured out, but I'm thinking, maybe they saw something that was prophetic it had to because it stirred them up to get gold and frankincense and myrrh and head out through the desert to bring this news, and they found Jesus. Now, I want to show you something else because these constellations are made up of a number of different stars. I think I have a picture of just the Virgo up here. The brightest star in the Virgo constellation is what's called, the Roman name is listed as the or in Hebrew, it's the Zerah, which means seed. The seed of the virgin. Maybe what happens if there was something supernatural that happened with the seed in the constellation of the Virgo that caused it to move out of her? Come on, you can clap and get excited a little bit here. It's all right. Isn't that amazing? They saw something in the stars. They saw his star. And this brightest one in there is called the seed of the virgin. Interestingly, this star is also known, another name for it in the, the Arabic means one sent forth, and this same star is called the second general in the Chinese language. So again, they saw something that stirred them so deeply because they didn't say, well, we can't look at the stars. We're like, we're looking for God everywhere. Where is he moving? And we go on to see that this verse in Isaiah 7, 14 is so Powerful. How many are, are getting convinced right now? These words that Isaiah spoke to this wicked king are so powerful. One sentence. And to this king Ahaz, we've never heard of him. We, he was a wicked man. But God is speaking this prophecy again to this generation here and now. And this is where hope will happen because he's given us a sign because Ahaz rejected his sign. But he says, I'll give you a sign. Really? What are you going to do? He says that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with 
us. That's your sign. We have hope today because this prophecy spoken 2,700 years ago has come and has been fulfilled. And it's not just for when it was spoken. It was for the 700 years later when Jesus was born. And it's for us here and now to begin to put our hope in what Isaiah has spoken to you and I to encourage us and to give us boldness as we continue to see God move in our community and into our lives. Let's stand together. Can we give God a shout of praise? Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Chris Monahan here from Gateway Church. Just want to share some things about the upcoming decade. I want to share it based on a story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 through 30. Now, interestingly, we're talking about uh, the the chapter 20, verse 20, to uh, chapter 20, verse 30. And I believe this might be something prophetic here. We, we might want to consider as we head into these, you know, the, the 2024 and the remaining years of this decade. We are in a Kairos moment, and I believe that God wants to speak to us through his word. I love his word. And I'll, the story I'm going to talk about is by a man named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a king, and he had three armies attacking him at the same time. And what the Lord called him to do was to send out the worshipers prior, even before his warriors. So how would you like to be on that worship team? You know, like, what? What are you doing? You know, and so this is a, an amazing story. We You've heard this so many times. And how, you know, when we send the worship out first, you know, God will bring in the victory. And it's such a truth for the kingdom of God. We have to be worshipers and grateful and thankful. And as we look into this story today, I want to go verse by verse. And I want you to see if you can see a pattern like I did as I was going through these scriptures. So, hey, uh, fasten your seatbelts and let's go through these next 10 scriptures. The first one is uh, verse 20. And it says that, uh, you know, Jehoshaphat is called by the prophets. He said, believe in Yahweh, our God, so you will be established. Believe as prophets, so you will prosper. And I believe it is, uh, 2020 was definitely a year for the church to stand on the prophetic words that were given. And so many failed to do that because it was a difficult time. The prophetic words were so tested in that year, and what a challenge it was. It, it was a kairos. Kairos means a, a, a defined moment in history where we must rise up and act, and 2020 was that year. And, you know, look, look what we were called to do. 2020 was the year COVID hit, the shutdowns, the medical tyranny, and it was truly a year for us to stand on the prophetic words. As we went into 2021, Let's look at the next verse, because it says, When he had taken counsel with the people, he also appointed those who were to sing to Yahweh and to give praise in holy array as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness endures forever. So there were some prophetic uh, words that they, they stood on, that worship had to go out in this next season. 
So in 2020, we saw the believe the prophets. And in 2021, we, we began to see uh, men like Sean Foyt uh, going out in, in the, the worst areas and the most difficult places and, and worshiping and declaring. And this is what happened in 2021. And man, just how, how the, the worship uh, drove out the chaos that was happening in 2021. And now, as we went into year 2022, we began to see that um, when they began to sing and to praise, Yahweh set ambushes against the children of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were struck. And now, notice that the people that went out were the people of Judah, and Judah means praise. And I believe that in 2022, the Lord was setting up ambushes against our enemies who were united against us. I mean, there was so many plans that were set up for us. And we need to see like there was three armies that were facing. And if you've read the, the name translation version, uh, the first people they attacked was Amnon. And they were great people. They were powerful people. And we have a, a large group of this oligarchy that is hoping to control us. They're afraid of death. They're, they have no faith. They believe that they're gods, that they'll live forever. And they hate the message of the gospel because what they're striving for is to depopulate the world, to bring it down to 500 million people so that they can create a technology that they're hoping to create that they'll eventually live forever. If you want to read their insanity, it's in print and it's very well read by Yuval Noah Harari. He has a book called Sapiens and then Homo Deus and all these crazy thoughts that there is, an, there is a group of elite people, great people that are planning to depopulate us through different means, through medical means. Um, do not just lift up your uh, shirt sleeve and let them put anything in their, your body that they want to. There's, there's ways that they're going about to destroy us, what they're putting in the food, what they're putting in the air, uh, what they're allowing in over our border. And so there's, there's some plans. But can I tell you, don't be discouraged. Like, let's believe the prophets. Let's worship. And like it says in verse 22, let's say, Lord, set up ambushes against our enemy. Um, Amnon means great people. We're coming out against a great people, but we are the giants in the land. We're the new giants in the land. Notice also in the uh, they fought against the Moabites. Now Moab is an interesting word because um, it means to have no father. They they have an unknown father, and um, this this word actually comes from the daughters of Lot and one of the. The incestuous relationship between the daughter and her father is um, the child that was conceived was called Moab, and it means to be fatherless or have an unknown father. And I believe that that's they don't know that they have a father in heaven. They they're serving themselves. They're living in a as godless atheist, and so we need. I believe God is setting up ambushes against those who do not see God as a heavenly father. We also see that uh, Mount Seir, Seir represent, means goat in Hebrew. And uh, again, these were the three armies that were attacking Judah. And Judah means one who praises. And we see, notice, you know, this is uh, the, from Mount Seir, the Mount of, Mount of Goats, where Jesus, in Matthew 25, he separates the sheep from the goats. So this, again, this was last year, 2022. 
uh, great attacks, but the Lord was setting up ambushes. We go into 2023, which was this year, and uh, which is this year, actually, we're coming to a close. And I said that in 2023, from this verse, I believe that God is setting up chaos, is coming to the enemy's camp, and they are turning on one another. And this is where we see our enemies will fall apart. We see what happened in uh, verse 20 through 23, uh, verses 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verses verse 23. For the children of Amnon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to thoroughly kill and destroy them. And when they had finished the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped destroy one another. So again, I believe this is what's happening in the even the Democratic Party and these parties, these alliances are going to begin to fall apart. And this is what's happening um, behind the scenes. They're attacking one another. And the true remnant, we are the true remnant. Did you know that? We are the true remnant and we need to find the right godly connection because the Lord is going to bring chaos into our enemies. Uh, verse 24 it says, when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked at the multitude and behold, they were dead, bodies fallen to the earth. There were none who escaped. So I believe that none of our enemies who have attacked us, uh, who attacked the truth throughout this pandemic and throughout all these lies that have happened since the beginning of this decade will escape. I believe everyone will be judged and destroyed. And that's, you know, I, I mean, hey, if anyone repents, and acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are forgiven, you are set free. But for those of these oligarchs that are standing up against God, you know, dumb on you. I mean, we have to see, look at friend, we're not afraid of death. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. But these crazy people believe that they're going to live forever through this new technology that they're going to create. And can I tell you, friend, is they fear us because they fear death. But we are, are joined together with Jesus who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Let's look at the next verse, verse 25, which I believe will take us into the year 2025. Remember that justice is both compensation for the righteous and judgment for the wicked. In the year 2025, I want to read this. It says that when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their plunder. They found among them in abundance both riches and dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry, and they took plunder for three days. It was so much. I believe 2025 is going to be a year of plunder for us, for the righteous. We're going to begin to take back. And I want to encourage you. Don't lose heart. Stay faithful to the call that God has for you. Year 26, I believe, will be a year of blessing the Lord and honoring him for delivering us. Uh, on the fourth day, in verse 26, it says, They assembled themselves in Baraka, which means blessing, the valley of blessing, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore, the name of that place was called Baraka, which means uh, the valley of blessing. Isn't that awesome? That year, the year for 2026 is going to be a time of blessing. Um, year 2027, it says, Then they returned every man of Judah and uh, Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, 
for Yahweh had made them rejoice over their enemies. And I believe that year 2027 is going to be a place, a season where we have joy over our enemies as we praised our God and followed Jehoshaphat, which means Yahweh judges. And I believe this is a decade of judgment. Jehoshaphat means Yahweh who judges. And again, we're in an appointed time, an appointed season. This is the decade of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat brought the judgment of Yahweh. Um, you know, compensation for the righteous and punishment for the wicked is complete justice. Oftentimes, people just see uh, the justice of God as the punishment of the wicked. But for us, friends, true justice is not only punishment for the wicked, but compensation for the righteous. The Lord will re reward us for being faithful to him. And we should be joyful in that and expectant in that. When David went to kill Goliath, he asked three times, what do I get? What's my reward? And they said, well, you get the king's daughter. And he says, well, let me take a look at her and see what she looks like. Ooh, okay, yeah. And no taxes for the rest of your life and for your family. And so David knew the reward he was going to get for being faithful and standing strong. And unfortunately, I don't think most Christians see justice in that way. True justice, sorry, compensation for the righteous and punishment for the wicked. So 2027, and again, you can follow along in your scriptures and see that we're going to enter into a valley of blessing. And um, I believe that that's going to be an amazing thing. And year 2028, um, we'll go ahead and uh, read what verse 28 says. It says, then they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps, and trumpets to the house of Yahweh. And this is a, a time, a season of rejoicing of um, gratefulness and thankfulness. Um, the trumpet will be restored to the house of Yahweh. Let's believe for Trump to be the trumpet that's restored to his house, um, believing that the full uh, plan that God had to give Donald Trump two terms in office will be fulfilled. And I want to just say publicly, um, I endorse Donald Trump for president in 2024. Why? Because of the prophetic words. And I stand on those prophetic words. Uh, these words came a long time ago. Uh, we know that there has been um, some prophetic words for Trump to be in office for two terms. And I believe that these will be fulfilled. And I stand with those. And it's interesting in verse uh, chapter 20, or I'm sorry, 2028, it talks about trumpets. They came to Jerusalem and with trumpets, and this would be the final year of his term. And again, you know, we don't put our trust in one man, but can I tell you that there are certain times people are chosen by God that may not be our favorite. We may not even like them, but uh, we see throughout history. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's an interesting word if you look at this in the name translation version. It means the, the one who carries the prophecies, the one who fulfills the prophecies. And I believe that Nebuchadnezzar was meant to fulfill his call and the and even bring forth things for the kingdom, even though he was at one, he, at first he was an ungodly person. I believe that Donald Trump in the same way has been called to fulfill some of these prophecies 
God has chosen him, like it or not, you know, we have to deal with it and press through. But interesting in that 28, the trumpet returns to the house of the Yahweh. Come, come on, that's good. That's a good day. All right, two more years, year 2029. In verse 29, it says, The fear of our God was on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that Yahweh fought against the enemies of Israel. And I believe that this will be a year where the fear of God is restored to the church and to the world. And uh, I love how it says that it'll be against all the enemies of Israel. And what we have to see here is that this nation, the nation of Israel, has been a, a nation that's been persecuted uh, in every nation that they've been in. And for us as Americans or whoever, not to stand with Israel that they would have their land uh, means that we are going to send them in the places that they will again be persecuted. And sadly, um, a lot of Christians don't understand the importance of Israel. And they don't see that Israel has, there has to be Jewish people in the land with their own nation for the Lord to return and to fulfill the prophecies in Zechariah and Isaiah. And it's beautiful. And we have to stand with Israel. In the Middle East, there's 21 Arab nations. There's only one Jewish nation. And so I believe in the year 2029, the fear of our God is restored to the church and to the world. And I love how God will fight against the en enemies of Israel. And that uh, just like we've seen what's happened with the terrible persecution that's happened to our, uh, our Jewish friends in Israel, please stand with Israel. The Lord will return to a nation of Jewish people in the land of Israel. And we must stand alongside them in that prophecy. I believe the decade ends with the elimination of chaos and the restoration of peace. And we see this in um, verse 30. And remember, uh, we're just going through these last 10 verses here. It says, So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for our God gave him rest all around. And I believe that that, is the, that will be possibly where we'll be in 2030. I believe that if we do our part, that we can see these verses that have come to pass, beginning with uh, chapter, uh, you know, chapter twenty, verse twenty, all the way up to chapter twenty, verse thirty. Now, I hope this has been a um, interesting talk um, on what could be possibly coming in the next decade, and of course, weigh everything that I've said. We weigh prophecy, and um, at the very least, it's just an interesting. 10 verses that we can look over, share with one another. Uh, I, I mean, I felt the weight of Second uh, Chronicles 20, 20 when it first came. And then as I read the next 10 verses, I thought, you know what? There may be some more juice. I call it like juice in the prophetic word of <laughs> these next 10, 10 verses. So I hope that you've enjoyed this. And uh, remember, we have uh, so many different courses that we offer on Gateway Equip. And um, this is, these are courses that you can take for a mere $5 a month. And um, we have courses on Revelation, on the Gates of Nehemiah, on prayer, on Marxism. We have a ton of courses that we want to offer to you. And it's on the Teachable app. Makes it very simple to follow. You can just download the app to your phone. You can follow along. And we have, um, we have just done an amazing job of getting that information to you and making it very affordable and very easy to go with. So uh, once again, I'm Pastor Chris Monaghan. 
Uh, learn more about other resources at ivweek.org or visit us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. here in Richmond, Indiana. We would love to see God's presence in Rich, and we would love you to experience God alongside of us. So signing off uh, here today. Thanks for joining me. God bless.